0: Miracles this morning, the miracle uh, of the man who was uh, deaf and had a speech impediment, and then transitioned right into the feeding of the 4,000. This is the second feeding that's recorded in the Bible of uh, that many people, or 4,000 men, so probably closer to 10,000 people were fed from. seven loaves of bread, and just a few fishes, the Bible says. But uh, let's read this, and then we'll have a word of prayer and, and get into the Sunday school lesson. So the Bible says, and again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis, and to bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks. And break and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat, and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. They that had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity this morning. As we look into the scriptures here and learn and glean these truths that are found, we pray Lord that you'd bless our Bible study, we pray that uh, you just teach us things this morning, help us to be reminded of things. I also pray for the uh, classes going on downstairs, that you'd bless each Sunday school class, each teacher, each student, help them Lord as the word of God is taught, that Holy Spirit you would impress upon each hearer uh, the truths of your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bless the morning worship service uh, to follow. Let that bring honor and glory to you also. But Thank you again, Lord, for your goodness to us, and thank you again for your mercy and your grace. We ask all these things now in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so you notice the title of this is proof. Because what we want to look at is um, the proof of several factors here with regards to Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter number 1, after Jesus rose from the dead and before He ascended into heaven, the Bible uses this term that as He walked this earth, uh, those, those days after the resurrection, He did many infallible proofs. In other words, that there was things that He did after His resurrection that were so they were just proved, proof that He rose from the dead And of course, he rose from the dead bodily and and then appeared uh, unto over 500 people uh, in his resurrection. And then, of course, he ascended into heaven. But again, all of these miracles, uh, we're to find in these miracles different proofs of who Jesus is. But even before we get into that, I want you to notice here that in chapter 7, in verse 31, he's going through, he, he, he leaves. Remember last week, Uh, we looked at the healing of the Syrophoenician's daughter where he was dealing uh, actually in an area of the world that is now Lebanon. And it's one of the few times in the Bible, I think it might be the only time in the Scriptures uh, that the Scriptures indicate he left the coasts of Israel and went outside of of what was then Israel. Now, he may have done that more times, but it's the only time I think recorded in the Bible that he did that. Anyhow... um, The Bible says he departs from those coasts and he comes across the Sea of Galilee and now he's in the midst of the coast of Decapolis. So I have in your handout, if you notice, Decapolis. We've seen Decapolis before. He's been into Decapolis before. Anybody, before I even get into this here, anybody remember the last time? Well, first of all, on your handout, Decapolis is not a city Decapolis is an area that has 10 cities. And um, a district, you can look on your hand, it's a district on the east and southeast of the Sea of Galilee, which was chiefly inhabited by Greeks. So when the Romans conquered Syria 65 years before Jesus walked on this earth. They rebuilt that area. They endowed it with certain privileges. And these, again, 10 cities, that's what Decapolis means. Um, they were very very Roman in their culture. And uh, so, though within the limits of Israel, Decapolis was inhabited by many foreigners and hence retained a foreign appellation. In fact, it was often called Rome away from Rome. By the way, if that was the case, um, well, again, on your hand, this may also account for numerous herds of swine in the district, that kind of gives you a hint, I guess, of when we heard of Decapolis before. So when, when did we hear of this before, this Decapolis? Linking it with the swine that were there. I mean, that should be an, uh, a good clue. So you're smiling, Bill, you must know. Right. So the question is always, how come there were so many swine there? Well, because it was heavily a Gentile area, not so much a Jewish area. And, um, but there's something else interesting about it. In fact, take your Bibles, just go back to chapter 5. That's where we last saw it. So after the man is... Uh, this is the madman of the Gadarenes. This is the man who was in the tombs, who was cutting himself and, and doing all kinds of things. And uh, Jesus, again, as uh, we just mentioned, uh, the demons are cast out, go into the swine, the swine went into the sea. But Jesus said, so this is what happens, though. Um, verse 15 And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. They want him to, they want Jesus to leave. They don't like the fact that he's there. And when he was coming to the ship, he had, that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Now look what Jesus says. Go home to thy friends. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to de- publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Now this is interesting because more times than not, Jesus tells the people that he has healed not to do to do the exact opposite of what this man. Has been told to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? This man is told to go home and publish things. Every, many of the other people that Jesus heals, they tell him, he, he tells them to do the exact opposite. Why, why do you think that is? Yes? Well, there's some truth to that. Uh, we ha- I have mentioned, well, let me give you this hint. I have mentioned to you, if you go to the Gospel of John, one of the reasons it tells us there, they there were people who wanted to make Jesus the King. And Jesus wasn't, He, he had a mission yet. He had This was only like a year and a half into His ministry. He knows He's got another year and a half of ministry to go before He's going to the cross. So, uh, it has to do with, Gentiles versus Jews. You know? Well, I was gonna say I feel like it's kind of Jesus' way of comparing the Gentiles to what he said. Well that's true, Adam. Um but there's more to it than that. I think you know. Jesus knew he was gonna come back there and then had the been- for That's true too, because we see we see in what we're reading today that the people came in multitudes. Now the same people that told them to go away now are coming to Jesus. But there's more to it than even that. Yes. They're supposed to go to the Jews first. No, he we went to the Jews first. That's true too. Oh, go ahead. Exactly. That's true, too. I think that all of these things that you've said are true. The Gentiles aren't going to make Jesus the king. The Jews were looking for the, to make him the king. You follow what I'm saying? So, anyhow, Jesus says, go ahead back home and go publish all of these things. So now, here it is sometime later, and go back to chapter number 7, Jesus returns to this area, and the people now, they've heard about this, these ten cities. Also, by the way, um, think about this. Let me give you this kind of a hint as well. So I just said that these areas, the areas of Decapolis, were, it was Rome away from Rome. Many foreigners. So how would this then also play out in the future? I'm talking about the the fairly immediate future in that time. How would this play out? Again, it has to do with Jews versus Gentiles. All right, well, I'll tell you. I think I'll tell you. (laughs) This is a very, so you have a lot of foreigners coming in and out of the area. So where are they going? They're going back home to wherever they've come from, to the different regions of Rome now all of a sudden it's been published in this area. There's this man called Jesus, this prophet who's healing people, who has raised the dead. So as they leave and go back to wherever they're from, they're taking with them what they've heard if they've visited the area of Decapolis. That's not necessarily the same with the Jews because they're staying in Israel. So in a sense, this is... This is maybe the first seed of the gospel that's going into the world. And and then, of course, the Great Commission would be to go into all the world and and preach the gospel. And and the apostles would go, and and Paul would go years later. But there would undoubtedly, they would be probably going to areas where people would have said, you know, I remember years ago hearing about this Jesus in the areas of Decapolis. So I don't think we, we kind of think about that at times, but... I think we see that. So he comes back here, does Jesus, and um, to this area. And now the same people who said, "Please leave, we don't want you here," now great multitudes come, and they want to hear, they they want him to heal them, and they want to hear of Jesus. So now let's pick it up. So what do we have? Some truths here that these people in this particular area can see, and we can see with regards to Jesus. First, we see in verses 33 through 35, really a proof of his, he he shows his divinity here. The fact that he's God. And um, let's look at this here. So let me ask you, I'm going to keep you engaged. Look again on yourselves at verses 33 through 35. Where where do we see here some of his um, indications that he's God? Yes, he heals the deaf man. He heals the deaf man. So look, look. This is, I guess, all you have to really do is look on on your handout, You'd get some clues too. So if he heals the deaf man, we 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 see we can think of him here too as the creator. You know, the he who well look on, on your handout. Way back in the book of Exodus, chapter four, I have this for you. The Bible says and Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent neither hitherto for, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow tongue." So let me just stop there. So Moses it seemed he had a speech impediment. And he says, "I'm not the when God called Moses to go back to Egypt and to um free the Jewish people, the captives, Moses came up with these excuses. And he says, I'm not really the greatest spokesman with regards to to what you want me to do, Lord. And look what God says to him. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? And who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. So he put that verse down there just to remind us that first, first of all, the Lord's the creator. And if He's he is the creator, he can recreate. And so for him to heal is part of that recreation. And in all of these miracles, there's a spiritual truth that Jesus uses. You know, like we haven't studied it yet because it's not in chronologically, chronologically we haven't got there, but the man who was born blind. And when we get to that, most of you know that The Pharisees would say to the man, "Who sinned, your father or your mother, that you were born? uh, That you were born was he blind, right? Yeah, the blind man. That you were born blind." And um, the Bible says that nobody sinned. There was no sin that caused this blindness. That this boy was born blind for the glory of God. Well, we don't think of blindness, deafness, the infirmities that we have in that way. Do you ever think of it that way? That some we had a family in the church some years ago that that they were a deaf couple. And um, in much the same way, this man here, uh, he was deaf. He was an engineer, worked for a firm in um, Williamstown. uh, The Archambles. I just forgot his first name. Um, Oh. Huh? Dave, hey, wow, a voice from a voice from on high. Anyhow, he, he he was deaf and he also also had a speech impediment. He could speak, but it was if you've ever been around people who, who are deaf, they can speak, but they have a, they don't speak clearly because they're deaf. Um, one, part of his testimony was they told his mother that she should abort him. And um, he would give that testimony. But he and his wife, they loved the Lord, and um, they had two sons, and they ended up moving to Georgia, and and there's a deaf school down in Georgia. But anyhow, uh, so sometimes we think of sickness or deafness or any of these things like, do we ever think that people are born that way for the glory of God? So anyhow, um, the Creator, we're we're mindful mindful of that. Um, but look on your handout. The second thing I put here was, with regards to his divinity, he's the mediator. You know, the Bible says, "For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus." So how do we see Jesus as the mediator here in those three verses? That he's the in, but he's the go-between. Well, look at it says, "And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an." In- Impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven and he sighed and said unto him, Epithet, that is be opened. So what, where, where is he the mediator in this? The go between. Yeah, look to heaven. So you have heaven. He looks to heaven, he prays to his heavenly Father. You have the man. And then in the middle of all that, you have Jesus. And that's how it works today, too, with you and I, as far as salvation goes. You have you. You have our Father, which is our art in heaven. And then you have Jesus, who came to die and pay for the sins of mankind. He's the mediator. So even in the healing, he acts as the mediator here. And then the liberator. Look on your handout, I think it's on the back of the handout, Luke chapter 4 4 and verse 18. This is an old, Jesus says this, but this was an Old Testament fulfilling of prophecy that Jesus, that one would come, the Messiah would come and liberate. Now, in those days, of course, the Jews were looking for, they were looking for a political liberator, but Jesus came to spiritually liberate. The Spirit of the Lord, Jesus said, is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. In other words, by doing these things, he's the Messiah. He's the liberator that it's come. And um, which would be kind of interesting for this group of people because they... As Gentiles really aren't looking for a Messiah. So we see in these miracles that we study, he opens ears, he opens the mouth, he opens the eyes, he, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Let me ask you this: what's the most important thing that Jesus ever opens? I'm talking about all right, that's true. But what does he open? What does he open for that? He opens, he opens our heart. And uh, he opens our hearts so that um, we could come to know Christ as our Savior. All of these are truths found, or examples found in these in these miracles. But also, we see proof of his humility here, because Jesus always is the example of humility. So, look again in verses thirty-two and thirty-three. They bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech. Him to put his hand upon him, and he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. By the way, I have no idea why he. Well, I have a slight idea. We'll get to that in a minute. Why he spit and touched his tongue? But in those two verses, where do you see the humility of Jesus? Well, he took him to the side, away from all the people. Yeah, he took him to the side. Kind of did, he did a lot of these things privately. And um, it, there's a great lesson that Jesus teaches there for you and I that as we serve the Lord, it's not always what we do publicly, but it's important that we also serve Him privately. It's not so important that people see what we do. The only person that's really important, the only person that's really important to ever see what we're doing is, is the Lord. And uh, because we don't want and should never want, any glory for ourselves. And even in this the Lord is teaching that. Now notice on your handout you see this a lot in the gospel of John there's a progression here with regards to glory. First of all what when we talk about the glory of God what is that? The glory of God. What would you say that is? What would you say that is, Ethan? He's in the background. He's not listening. <laughs> what would you say that is, Ethan? <clears throat> okay, his supreme worthiness. All right? The person of God. Look, look, look in the Gospel of John. Look at this progression that you see here. So in the beginning of miracles, on your handout, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested forth his glory... And his disciples believed in him. So, what miracle was that? The first miracle. What was that? They turned the water into wine. But he manifests his glory there. They saw what they. they you know, Mary comes to him and says, "You know, they don't have the wine is run out." And Jesus turns the water into wine. But now look at verse chapter seven, verse eighteen. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So, Jesus was always pointing towards the Heavenly Father. In fact, many times um, uh, in the Bible, when Jesus is doing these miracles, that's part of telling them not to publish these things not to bring glory on himself. There's a great verse in the book of There's a great verse in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9 in verse 23 says this. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, and let not the mighty man glory in his might, and let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. But if, and I'm paraphrasing right now this part of it, if you're going to glory Glory in the knowledge that you have of God. And, that, and that, that doesn't mean in a prideful way. I mean, find the things, find more and more and more that you know about the Lord, the better off you'll be. And um, so you see this progression here. So, first, there's the first miracle, and his, his glory is manifested here. He's indicating to the disciples, you know, beginning to indicate who he is. He came and he would say, I've come not to do my will, but the Father's will. Uh, Then he says, Look at verse chapter 8. I seek, Jesus said, not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. He's constantly pointing people to the Father. But then you get down to John chapter 17 and the great model prayer. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That glory that He had given up. Someone said this with regards to humility. They said, but if I act only to promote the... Now let me start a little bit further on here. Um, If I speak so as to procure mine own glory, to gratify vanity, or to secure and promote my secular interests... Then what Jesus is really saying with regards to these verses is, then reject me as a deceiver and a false prophet. But if I act only to promote the glory of God, to induce all men to love and obey Him, if I propose nothing but what leads to the perfection of His law and the accomplishments of His ordinances, you cannot help acknowledging me at least for a true prophet And if you add to this the proofs which I have given of my mission and power, you must acknowledge me as the mighty power of God and you must acknowledge me as the promised Messiah. So Everything that Jesus did pointed to glorifying his Father and him coming as the promised Messiah. And so, he touches the man. He spits. Why why do you think he spit and touched the man's uh, or put his fingers in the man's ears, and spit, and then touch the man's tongue. Yes. You have to do something. You can't just do it like Alexander's done. That's a that's a sign that's a physical. I've touched you. It worked. I've touched you. It worked. Yeah. Well. Well. Especially in the sense that the man. First of all, the man is deaf. So Jesus puts his fingers in his ears, and then the spitting, I have no idea what the spitting in the tongue, except, <laughs> I, I, I. It, was his, it was his mouth, it was his tongue. Yeah, but the alakazam thing that you said. So did you notice here, what did Jesus say? He said, be opened. It's a command. Because there were a lot of people in that time and in that day that would have these what were they called? Would they be called incantations? Is that the right word? Um, where they would—they were like miracle workers. They try to be miracle workers, and they'd have all of these uh, sayings. It's kind of like you know, sometimes you see. Well, I don't want to get into the whole charismatic movement thing, but um, it's just that, that Jesus, with a command, said, "Be opened," and this man's ears were opened, and his tongue was loosed. And he—and again, he, we already mentioned—he looks to his heavenly Father with regards to this, but but the touching of Jesus and the indicating that the divine power that Jesus had to be able to do this. Something. Um, And then, before we move on to the other miracle, because they kind of transition, why do you think Jesus sighed in verse 34? And looking up to heaven, he sighed. He kind of lets out this sigh. There's a lot in these couple of verses. You can just kind of read through them and pass on by, but he, Jesus does this, and he's like... Oh. What do you and want to say? the first person pulled aside. Yeah. I mean, this could just be a, a recollection of one person. It says the multitude, so there's many, many, many people there, especially considering all the people who's going to feed later. So how do you know this isn't just... This could be, like, number 12, 13, 25. Like, you don't know. It could be just the record of one person. I mean, there's a multitude of people there. Who knows? I mean, if all these people, like you said, are going to different parts back home from the campus, you would think that he would possibly, I'm just you know, kind of thinking a lot of, he's probably doing this to multiple people that are going to different areas to have their own attestment of what happened. So how do you know this isn't like just one of like thirty people? He's just like, ah, you know, like oh, like was it a big deal for him? <laughs> you know, it's. I'm just, you know, that's just, you know, thinking it could be multiple people. He's done this for. They're gonna eventually leave and go back home. Yeah, well, we Hopefully, do know from a previous several verses previous that he was trying to get a break. But the but the but the people kept he, he of course he because he's he has the attributes of a man so he does fatigue and he, he does tire, and that is a possibility. He's just he's just wore out physically. anybody else want to take a Yes, Go ahead, Bill. I'd say he's just contemplating all the sin and damage and destruction that came into the world right I think that's good I think that's true too I, I didn't think of this on my own it was some of the reading that I did but you know one of the commentators I mentioned that I read quite a bit of, of, of an old commentator by the name of Matthew Henry he, he kind of put it this way now whether this is this is true or not or this is really what's going on here because I think both of you have come up with good points. But he's but he Matthew Henry said, Now this man is now exposed to the possibility of sinning in all new ways. What do I mean by What did he mean by that? Now this man who has had his, he's now able to speak clearly, and now he can hear, is now open to sinning in all new ways, which previously he was not able to he was not exposed to. Yeah, right. You know, if you're blind, if you're blind, you're never exposed to the sin of things that you see. Follow what I'm saying? Uh, If you can't speak... You know, the tongue is an unruly evil that no man can tame. If you can't speak, then you can't sin that way. Now, whether or not that's why he's sighing, I don't know. I think, I think, like what Bill said, I think Jesus, oh, the sin of the world. I think, because it wasn't supposed to be this way. You know, and uh, Jesus knows that there's a day coming that it's not going to be this way. But he sees, well, we're running out of time, so i got to move quickly. It really leads to the next point, and that's, Because He's sympathetic. And that gets into the feeding of the 4,000 here. These people have been with Jesus for three days and they have nothing to eat. They might have brought some food with them. There's ten cities. they probably traveled from different cities. They've been there three days. They've run out of food. And what does Jesus say in verse 2? I have compassion on the multitudes because they've now been with Me three days and they've got nothing to eat. So Jesus is not only concerned about our spiritual needs, Jesus is concerned about our physical needs as well. If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint. Because some, he says at the end of verse 3, they've come from afar. They've come a long ways. And they have nothing to eat. They're, they're wore out. And the disciples, they forgot. I don't understand this with the disciples sometimes. They said, for, they said verse 4, whence can we satisfy these men here in the wilderness? Well, they just... A few lessons ago, Jesus had fed 5,000 men with uh, five, or five loaves of bread and two fish. And uh, Jesus says, well, what do you have? I'm sympathetic to the crowd. They need to eat. And so we see the sympathy, and we should always remember that. He's sympathetic to our cause, sympathetic to what we deal with in life. And um, he, Jesus knew what it meant to be hungry, He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He knew what what hunger was all about. Just like he knows everything. And I have that verse on your handout. Hebrews 4.15, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He's experienced life. That's why he's sympathetic. But lastly, because we've run out of time, it's the proof of his bounty. The Lord is, is a bountiful God. His bounty is inexhaustible. He takes these few fish, He blessed them, He commands them to be set before them, and they ate, and they were filled. And just like with the with regards to the previous feeding of the 5,000, there were seven baskets, there were plenty left over. And um, then He sends them away. They, they left full. Jesus never wants us to leave Hungry, he always wants us to leave full. And that's true when we come to church as well. That's true when we read our Bibles. That's true when we pray. He doesn't want us to leave hungry. There's no need for us to leave hungry. As long as the table that's being set is biblical, the preaching is from the Word of God, and is empowered by the Spirit of God, and is properly pre- been prepared and properly been prayed over then we can leave full we can leave satisfied because god has spoken to our hearts but it also speaks of god's god's bounty also speaks of his grace isn't it a marvelous thing that god's grace is unlimited it's new every morning the bounty of the lord it's a small thing I put this verse on your hand, I don't know if I did. Yeah, the psalmist said, God said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. God doesn't have to tell us that he's hungry. God, he's the preparer of all that there is. So you and I, we never should be hungry. We should always, uh, well, I guess in one sense, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said we should hunger and thirst after righteousness. But in hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we should come and be filled. But then each day, just like we hunger each day, we can be filled with the word of God again and again and again, and the power of the Spirit of God over and over and over, and the, is the, the grace of God. i have just finished with this. Second Corinthians 9, 8 on your handout. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. When we think we've exhausted the grace of God, there are seven baskets left full using the example from the Feeding of the Multitude. There are more than seven baskets full. It's a wonderful thing about the grace of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord, for just who you are and what you do in our lives. And uh, we're so grateful that we can look to you, depend upon you. We can glean these truths from the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.